Welcome back to the Such Things Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for our series here on the life of King David. Um, We left David in his wilderness years, his Robin Hood years, on the run from the evil King Saul, looking over his shoulder. Well, as we go through the book of 1 Samuel, eventually King Saul dies in battle. And he dies, unfortunately, as a coward. You can go read the tale. He dies as a madman, a small man, paranoid, filled with jealous rage. And Jonathan dies too, his son, David's best friend, that unlikely friendship. Jonathan also perished on the field of battle and David finally, actually there was even more time actually went by after that, but I'm just summarizing here. David finally ascends to the throne. After all these years, he made it. You know, the, the, the prophecy came true. David, you know, became king. He's there. But often it's the times of ease. The times that come after a great victory, when we let down our guard and and the enemy creeps in. And if you've lived any life as a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. See, David weathered the storms of hardship, but could he survive prosperity? Sometimes it's the good and the easy times, the fat times where we are set up, you know, for, for those to be our worst times. Because we're not on our knees, depending on God, crying out to God. My dad used to always say, you know, he would say, God, I, I promise you, you know, I'll learn all the lessons I need to learn. I'll be humble. I'll do everything you want me to do. Just give me victories. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's the hard times that often put us on our knees. And it's the times of ease where sometimes we compromise. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David, now King David, sent Joab, his right-hand man, his commander, he sent Joab out with the king's men. And the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David, what are you doing in Jerusalem? He's not out on the battlefield. It goes on. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Men, you know how it is. Maybe some of the sisters can relate as well. It's late at night. Let me just see what's on TV. Let me just see what's new on Netflix. I can't sleep. Let me just, just, just check some email, read the news, fire up the computer. Here's David in the middle of the night. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, 
And David, because he's the king, he sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who happened to be one of David's commanders, one of David's soldiers. We found out later, one of David's mighty men. This woman was his wife. She was very beautiful, and it was late at night, and David's now king, so he can do what he wants. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. And the story unfolds. Um, David goes on to basically arrange to have Uriah killed. He tries to cover it up and get Uriah to come back from the enemy line, from from battle, you know, the, the 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 battle lines, and get him to sleep with his wife. But Uriah refuses to do it because he says, you know, how could I go home and sleep in my bed with my wife when my men are at war? So. So he doesn't do it. So David has to make arrangements for Uriah to be killed in battle. And then he he takes Bathsheba to be his own wife. But it says at the end of the chapter, I'm kind of just summarizing here, verse 27, 2 Samuel 11. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I call this uh, chapter in David's life, this season in his life, a tragedy of temptation. A tragedy of temptation. See, David, at this point, he's, he's been on the run, man. It's time to take a break. We feel that way. Man, I feel that way. Coming out of COVID, church has been, you know, things have been getting back to full steam ahead with church, with my kids' school, and um, I'm, we're back at it again. And you can start to feel like, man, I, I've been going. I deserve a break. I deserve some me time. I've been kind of struggling with that lately. And here's David and his, his appetites, his passions, his desires rage out of control. They're unchecked. Where is the man after God's own heart? Temptation can do that to the best of us. This moment of passion, this moment of desire that came during this time of ease. This time where David was finally given all that he wanted, all that he had been promised, given the throne. Charles Swindoll, in his book on the life of David, he he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book called Temptation. Bonhoeffer says this, in our members, listen to this, y'all, in our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce, 
with irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's a sexual desire or an ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. I'll pause right there. I'll come back to Bonhoeffer's words here in a moment. But desire, temptation, it's like that. Like, 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 a, like you know, fire catching to, to kindling, to, to, to dry wood, to dry leaves. It just whoosh. It comes over you guys. I'm amazed. You know, I fancy myself like a, you know, a spiritual guy sometimes. But I'm blown away how quickly desire can come over me. Lustful desire, sexual desire. I was just walking and praying on the beach yesterday. And there's a woman in a bathing suit. Boom. Lustful desire. I could be having a good day trying to be a good dad, a good husband. Oh, I'll pat myself on the back. I'm having dinner with the family. And then the kids are a little unruly. My, my wife so, you know, does something that rubs me the wrong way. And whoosh, anger, impatience, it just comes over me. Driving down the road, whoosh, it just comes over me. Sinful temptation. It's, it's like the slumbering beast. Maybe it's already hit you this morning. You woke up with good intentions. Continuing Bonhoeffer's words, he says, at this moment, the moment of desire, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. Skipping ahead, Satan does not hear fill us with a hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Moving a little forward, the powers of clear discrimination and of, of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves as, hmm, is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? See, we start to justify, don't we? Moving ahead, Bonhoeffer continues, it is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches us in times of temptation uh, in the flesh that there is one command. Flee, flee fornication, flee idolatry, flee youthful lusts, Flee the lusts of the world. There is no resistance to Satan in lust other than flight. Every struggle against lust in one's own strength is doomed to failure. And then Swindoll continues, after quoting from Bonhoeffer, he says, if you do not run, you will fall, as David did. He says, when you run from temptation, lust backs off. It's the only counsel that works for me. And I say to Chuck, Chuck Swind, Charles Swindoll, Chuck, amen. 
is the only thing that works for me too. Run like Joseph when Potiphar's wife came after him and said, sleep with me. He ran from her. Oh, David, what did you do, David? Why did you do it? He didn't run, did he? Oh, no. He gave in and he gave in. He slept with her and then it just led to this just this domino effect of sin. He ends up, you know, covering it up. And, you know, Uriah, I mean, Uriah gets killed, but we'll come back to that. Y'all, we live in a time when the world says of temptation and sin, you know, is it sin? I mean, come on, is it temptation? If you can have it and not hurt someone, shouldn't you do it? I mean, the only thing that matters is what you want. And and getting what you want while not hurting, or these days, God forbid, offending someone else. You know, whatever feels good and right to you. And nowhere is this, this mentality, this kind of mantra, this modern mantra, nowhere is this more prominent than in our sexuality. Sex is, is intended to be a powerful, God-given bond, a loving connection that, that, that is part of building a family. It's, it's meant to be, um, you know, sex is meant to be connected to a lifetime marriage commitment, never shared with another. It's the bond, you know, in Avatar. They mate for life. It's the bond. Um, it, you know, if the world followed this ethic, the Bible's sexual ethic, just imagine for a minute. Imagine what a different place this world would be. I mean, it's hard to imagine. It's, it's like crazy to imagine. But imagine if everyone did. Wow. Wow. See, David did not follow God's plan for his sexuality, did he? In this moment, desire trumped doctrine. <laughs> In this moment for David, flames of passion snuffed out faithful perseverance. And the price? Well, a cover-up happened, lies and deceit. Uriah ends up killed. The, the, the baby, uh, a baby ends up dying, the, uh, David and Bathsheba's baby. And so much more. I mean, David's family largely falls apart for years, even generations to come. It's, it's actually very sad if you go read the rest of 2 Samuel. More on that later, but for now, suffice it to say, when we divert from God's plan laid out in the Bible, whether it be his plan for sex or, or whatever, his plan for money, his plan for our priorities, our time, when we divert from the plan laid out in the Bible, which, by the way, God lets us be free to do. But when we do it, the consequences, though often unintended on our part, they ripple through our lives. Like, like, like you know, skipping a stone across a, 
a, a calm pond. It ripples. And they, the, the consequences ripple through our lives. And those unintended consequences often ripple through the lives of those we love or those around us in ways that we can't begin to imagine. Certainly we're not imagining it in the moment when we're giving in to sin. <laughs> and certainly David had no expectation, no anticipation or understanding of how these sins would ripple through his life and family. All through the Bible, there's only one place that sex is appropriate. And, and in fact, very much encouraged. That's a legal marriage covenant between a natural-born man and a natural-born woman. That's the only place where sex is recognized and applauded and encouraged. The world's sexual ethic has proven to be a complete disaster, has it not? I mean, let's just, let's just acknowledge. Divorce abounds. Broken homes, broken hearts are the norm. Now, there are many reasons for this that can be very complicated, very sad. But look, we know this. The world says, live together, sleep together, test the waters, try before you buy. But here's, let me tell you something interesting. The Wall Street Journal recently reported on research that shows some shocking results. Not shocking to God but perhaps shocking to us as, as worldly people. In a world where divorce is the norm, researchers have discovered that some of the highest rates of success in marriage and the lowest rates of divorce come from those who marry young and never live with another partner ahead of marriage. That, this is a recent article I read in the Wall Street Journal. Some of the highest rates of successful marriage, the lowest rates of divorce, come from those who actually marry young and have never lived with another partner ahead of marriage. Once again, the wisdom of God stymies man's wisdom and reveals it as foolishness. But let's go on. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan. Nathan's a prophet. He sends him to David after all is said and done. David at this point has covered it all up. He's taken care of Uriah, had him killed, married Bathsheba, and moved on with life. All right, when Nathan came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. He tells him this story. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David, you know, when he heard this story, says David burned with anger against the man, this fictional man, and said to David, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. 
Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You're the man. This is not the, you know, early 2000s or 90s. You the man. This is not that. This is not the kind of man that David wanted to be. You the man. Like, you're the bad guy in the story, David. Nathan goes on. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you, David, king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says out of your own household. I'm going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes. I'll take your wives and give them to one who's close to you. He'll lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I'll do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord's taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you've made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Hmm. He got found out. Do you see it there a couple times? It says, David despised the Lord. When we're leading a life of sin, a life contrary to God's plan, we despise the Lord. Even if we get away with it, even if it, it's like, ah, oh, I'm king, I could do this, I got away with it, no big deal. No harm, no foul. Everybody's doing it. Let me tell you, if you have been living in sin or hiding sin the way David was here, please stop despising your maker. Stop making a mockery of the cross of Christ. Jesus died for that sin. If your conscience is pricked as I'm saying these words, when the podcast is done, hit your knees or do it now. Call a trusted brother or sister. Get it out. Confess. Are we despising the cross of Christ? David was. But I'm going to show you how to be set free because there is a path forward. Wounds can heal the wounds of our sin, but scars may remain. See, Nathan here, he gives David a dose of reality. David, you know, when we're like living in sin, we're, we're living like in a, in a dream world. I mean, payday, like we, it will come. The day, a day of reckoning, it, it will come. Now or later. David thought he got away with it. So, so Nathan just breaks, gives him a dose of reality. He says, look, your choice, the choice you made, David, that sinful choice, it will ripple through your family, even through the nation of Israel and Judah for generations. Let me tell you what Nathan, what Nathan is prophesying here. One of David's sons would later rape one of David's daughters. 
Another son of David would murder that son and then drive David from the throne and take David's, uh, some of David's women, his concubine, and sleep with them in broad daylight, I believe on the, on the roof of the palace, which incidentally is where David was when all this sin began. I mean, are you kidding me? It just, so many things happened. People could take, people died. The family was, was, was hurt. I mean, you can be forgiven. David could be forgiven. You can be healed, but the scars may remain. You may be suffering the aftershocks of sins from the past, from your past. Well, take heart. You're, you're actually in good company here. Da- David, whew, this is the part of David's life that you're like, wait, really? Man after God's own heart? What? Oh, I mean, he messed up big time. And, and, and the, the, the aftershocks continued. The shockwave continued. But if you're experiencing the aftershocks of sinful choices from the past, hey, by the way, maybe you're experiencing the aftershocks of someone else's sinful choices. Maybe you have been abused, taken advantage of. Someone, you know, maybe you feel like Bathsheba, the woman who was taken and taken advantage of. I I don't know what her role was in this sin. But anyway, no, let me encourage you with this. It does not say that the Lord despised David. Rather, it says David despised God. Guys, we've all been there. Our sin was us despising God. It doesn't say God despised David. It says God was displeased with David. God does not despise you even when you despise him or displease him. God may not be God may be displeased with with you with your choices, but he does not despise you. You may be despising him. Get this right in our heads because the devil wants to mess with us here and get us really down on ourselves. See, God was not done with David yet. And he's not done with you. Our response to our Nathans determines everything about what the next, the coming chapters will be for us. Look at this. First, uh, Second Samuel chapter 12, down here in verse 13. And, and David's response to everything was, I have sinned against the Lord. In verse 13. See, when, we, when we're confronted with this you to man moment, like, oh, it's me. I'm the sinner. Our response needs to be, I have sinned against the Lord. I think this is why David is still the man after God's own heart. He, when, when confronted, when, when reality was revealed to him, he humbled himself. He owned it. There was no throwing spears here like King Saul. You know, 
How many times have I wanted to throw spears at, at my Nathans when they confront me with my sin? I, I, I'm like, hey, hey, you, man, you're, you're judging me. Man, you know, well, hey, Nathan, what, have you never sinned? Every time people try to confront me with sin, my, my initial reaction in the back of my mind is, psh, psh, who's this guy? But not David. He said, I've sinned. I am the man. It was me. I own it. And at the end of the day, David came to understand what we must come to understand. And that's this, that our sin hurts God. Go read Psalm 51, the psalm that he penned, the prayer that he prayed, the song that he sang to God after this encounter, this confrontation from Nathan. He said in Psalm 51, David tells God, against you, you only have I sinned. And I'm like, well, I think you sinned against Bathsheba. I'm pretty sure you sinned against Uriah. In fact, probably a lot of other people too. But David says, no, yeah, I mean, I did. But ultimately, at the end of the day, my sin is against you, God. And so he cries out in Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart. Renew a, a steadfast spirit within me. See, he wanted to get his heart right with God. When you've been in sin, your, your heart, our, when we've been despising God, our heart has become corrupted. We need a clean, a clean heart, a clean slate. I'm struck by this line from God. He said back in, um, let's see, a few verses earlier, Nathan is speaking on behalf of God, and God says to David, I would have given you even more. God's like, why did you do this? I would have given you even more. Like, if, like, I, I got you. Why did you feel the need to reach beyond my will? It's like Adam and Eve. Like, I gave you the whole garden, all these trees. Why did you reach for that tree? I would have given you more. Like, have faith in me. Every time, guys, when we've been in sin, it comes down to this in our heart. We don't, we have not been having faith in God, trusting our life to God. We've been pulling our heart back from God. Will we trust in God, in his ways, in his provision, in his heart for us? Will we trust? God's like, I got you. You don't need to go to sin. Trust me. And I, David's response and his repentance, go read Psalm 51. It starts right here in 2 Samuel 12, 13. I've sinned, but go read the Psalm. You can read the rest of the story. He fasted. He, he cried out to God for a period of time. That's good to do. A lot of us, you know, the lost art of fasting. David, like, cried out. He prayed, by the way, that God would spare the life of this unborn child. The, 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 this baby ended up being collateral damage for David's sin. When he gets word that the baby died, it says he got up from the ground where he had been 
fasting and praying for some days. After he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Worshipped. (laughs) Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate again. His servants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is an interesting response. He fasted, he wept, he prayed, he cried out, and then he suffered the consequences that the, 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 the baby died, but then he goes and he worships God. And the servants are perplexed because they don't understand. See, David's his heart, the good part of his heart is coming back alive here. And he says, look, I thought maybe God will relent. Maybe God will save the baby. And he didn't. He didn't. But there's something here. And this is not the only time where, where you see this in David. He always came back around to this heart for God, this total trust in the goodness of God. Like, you know what? God is good. Maybe he'll relent. (laughs) This will not be the last time that David was conscience-stricken for some terrible sin that he committed. Nor will it be the last time that he had to throw himself upon the grace and goodness of God when he had royally blown it. But He trusted that God can bring grace from tragedy. And that's where this story comes to a close. Grace. I call this grace from tragedy. Because he went back to his wife, Bathsheba. They were married. And Solomon was born to them. And Solomon would go on to be the next king of Israel to write many of the Proverbs in the Bible. Grace from tragedy. Y'all, this, <laughs> that's my life. Like, I see where my life of sin was leading as a young man. I see it. I can look back, and I see now that the marriage I have, the children I have, <sighs> That's not where my life was heading. That never would have happened. I never would have known how to build a lasting marriage. Despite my best intentions, I I would have cheated. I would have neglected. I would have been the husband and the dad that I didn't want to be, that I used to despise when I saw it in other people. That would have been me, consumed by my work, Man, I struggle with it now as a minister. Keeping my priorities right, you know, you know, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, the life that I'm leading, by the grace of God, God has brought grace from tragedy. Through his grace, and by the way, through some of the key Nathans in my life that have come into my life at key times and told me, David, 
you to man and not in a good way. And so as a result, like my namesake, my sin has not forever defined me. Somehow, this sinner, just like the other David, this sinner, me, I can still find grace from tragedy. Somehow, David the sinner, King David, was still the man after God's own heart. I don't know what repercussions you're dealing with or what repentance may still be needed in your life. But you can still be a man or woman after God's own heart. You're not a lost cause, nor was David. Because like David, even though the repercussions may last, healing can come, and your next chapter is yet to be written. the Lord today, for he is all my hope and stay. I got as good his name is great, hallelujah.